Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we'll be looking at verses 27 through 31 this morning. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. now seek the Lord's blessing on the preaching of his word. O Father, even as we read of the Lord Jesus Christ here opening the eyes of the blind, how we do pray that by your spirit you would open the eyes of our hearts to behold his glory and that in so doing that we would uh, truly uh, grow in our faith, that we would grow in our faith all the days of our lives, O Lord, that with uh, eyes to see we might live knowing that everything we do is done before your face. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the things that we see in the scriptures is that faith and sight are often uh, put together. That That faith is in some ways a kind of seeing. So we have this in a number of places. You think of 2 Peter chapter 1. There is an exhortation to grow in grace. And the way Peter ends the exhortation is he says, if these qualities, these qualities of godliness are increasing in you, then they will keep you from being nearsighted. Nearsighted, not in the sense of uh, you actually can't see with your physical eyes, but being nearsighted so as to forget that God has cleansed you from your former sins. The, the, The faith is a kind of seeing. We see the same thing happening even in the Old Testament. You think of Psalm 119, verse 18, the prayer of the psalmist, Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things in your law. He's not praying that his physical eyes would be open. He's praying that the eyes of his heart would be open so that he could, would truly understand the glory of the Lord. You think of uh, even the same thing that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about in Matthew chapter 13. After explaining to, to the apostles the, the parable of the sower, he, you know, they, they come to him and they want to know what the meaning is. And he says to them, he says, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to others it has not been given so that, so that seeing they may not see. The, the hiding of faith from some is to make them blind. This is to say, if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is because you are blind. And the Lord Jesus Christ, even there, he's quoting from, from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. This is supposed to be uh, the hallmark of Isaiah's ministry. You are to go to this people so that, even as you preach the word of God to them, so that seeing they may not see, that, uh, that they may truly have the word of God put before them 
And even though they are able to see with their physical eyes, they would actually be proved to be blind. And this, this even happens, uh, this happens again in John chapter 9. Christ opens the eyes of the blind. And so then you have a, a blind person who's able to see because of his faith. And by faith, he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. But then you also have at the end of that story, the Pharisees are declared to be blind. Uh, those who you thought could not see actually do see. And those that you thought could see actually do not see. Uh, even in 2 Corinthians 5, where faith and sight are contrasted, we walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, the reason is because faith is a kind of seeing. Uh, faith is a kind of seeing such that uh, the main way in which we walk today is not in blindness, that is to say, not, not related to the physical eyes, but we walk by faith, knowing that by faith we're able to see the things that we need to see. Now, if this is the case, that faith and sight are put together in the scriptures, what then becomes the significance when the Lord Jesus Christ opens the eyes of the blind? What becomes the significance? If everywhere in the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, if faith and sight are always put together, what becomes the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ opening the eyes of the blind? Surely, surely it means at least he has the sovereign authority as the eternal son of God to grant physical sight to whomever he desires. It means at least that. But it also means that Christ is also the one who sovereignly grants the knowledge of the Father to whomever he chooses by opening the eyes of their hearts to behold him by faith. Christ is able to do both, and this miracle proves both. It proves his authority as the eternal Son of God to be the only one that can open the eyes of anyone, but it also proves that he is the one who is able to grant faith to whomever he chooses. Now, there is a subtle irony. We mentioned the irony of, of John chapter 9. Those whom we thought could see can't, and those who we think we see can't, uh, and uh, vice versa. Here we have another great irony. The eyes of the faith, the, 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 the eyes of the blind are open because of their faith, and yet the seeing of the miracle is not granted to the crowds in general. Who are those who could see? They remain blind and in the dark, though they can see with their physical eyes. And yet the blind who believe, they are given their sight. And all of this turns in the passage upon the faith of the one and the lack of faith of the other. Because faith is itself a kind of seeing. Now, the point then is this. If the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who sovereignly opens the eyes of the blind, not just opening their eyes physically, but also sovereignly allowing the, the knowledge of the king to be granted to some and withholding it from others, as we see at the end of this passage, the reason why he commands the secrecy. If that is the case, then when you find yourself struggling in your faith and you find yourself doubting and, and you want to know how is it that my faith can be grown, the answer is you must go to the one who has the authority to open the eyes of the blind. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is able to open your eyes and to increase your faith. Now, this is the second miracle in the third set of, of miracles. You remember in chapters 8 and 9, there are three sets of three miracles that are given. All of them are meant to establish that the Lord Jesus Christ has sovereign authority over everything in creation. Uh, all kinds of different things uh, Matthew touches on and shows that in, in all of them, the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely sovereign. And this now is the second to the last miracle. It's the second miracle in the third set of three. And the emphasis we've seen all throughout all these miracles is on one, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, but two, also on the faith of those who receive 
the healing. And this, as we saw in a number of other places as well, is contrasted again with the people generally who are not allowed to receive the message. They're told that they should not receive the message, even though, of course, as we'll see at the end, uh, they, they do in fact receive the message because of the disobedience uh, of the blind men. Uh, so we'll look at this passage then, considering these uh, two main themes. We'll look at them uh, under three headings. First, we'll consider the faith of the blind. The faith of the blind. And that's in, uh, in, chapter, uh, in verses uh, 27 and 28. Then we'll consider the healing that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplishes, verses 28 and, uh, 29 and 30, giving, uh, the giving of sight. And then we'll consider the, uh, what uh, appears to be a strange part of the passage in other parts of the Gospels, uh, the secrecy. Why is it that the Lord Jesus Christ commands that this miracle not be made known to others? We'll look at that in the, the last part of verse 30 and uh, verse 31. And we'll see that this is because of the unbelief of those who see. There's the faith of the blind. There's the unbelief of those who see. And so we'll look first then at the faith of the blind in verses 27 uh, and 28. Now you'll notice Matthew emphasizes their faith in a number of different ways. Uh, the first thing he does is, is uh, shows what they say to the Lord Jesus. He, they say, Son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. They come to the Lord Jesus Christ and they acknowledge and proclaim that he is in fact the Son of David. Now this is very significant. Uh, this is at the very first time that Christ is addressed as the Son of David. This is, will be a very common way that the Lord Jesus Christ is addressed. Uh, many times people who are coming to the Lord Jesus for healing, they will come to him and they'll say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me and, and do this or that uh, thing for me. The reason why the Lord Jesus is called the Son of David is because those who are making the petition are uh, confessing that they truly do believe that Jesus is the Messiah. This is one of the things that we saw all throughout, uh, all, all throughout the first century. Many people were anticipating that the Messiah would come. And one of the main things that they knew about the Messiah is that when he comes, he will be the son of David. He will be the one who will fulfill all the promises that were made to David in the Old Testament, particularly in, in the Davidic covenant. He will be the one that will defeat all the enemies of God's people. He will be the one that will establish an everlasting kingdom that will bring in uh, this eternal state of righteousness. They believed that this was that person. And notice, even there's a connection uh, between them acknowledging Jesus as the son of David and then believing that he would have the faith to heal them. They didn't just believe that he was uh, a kind of uh, going to be a great son of David who would win great military battles and victories, but they believed that as the son of David, as this one who was promised by the prophets, that he would be able to, of his own authority, heal them of their blindness. They believed if you are the son of David, and we believe you're the son of David, then we also believe that you will be the one who will be able to heal us of our blindness. Now, what happens next in verse uh, 28? Uh, they, go, they come into the house. The purpose of going into a house is basically to, to make sure that this miracle is done in private, which will be important as we see the commands to secrecy later on. But they go into a house so that this can be a, a private a conversation that Christ would have with them and then a private miracle that's done. And then notice as well, their faith is emphasized again in verse 28 as the Lord Jesus Christ asked them if they believe. He says, do you believe that I am able to do this? Now notice, now notice, they say that they, were, that they believe. Notice though the question that is asked, and this is something that's highlighted all throughout chapters 8 and 9. Christ does not ask, do you believe that God is able to do this for you? 
do you believe that God is able to do this for you? That is not the question that is asked. The question that is asked is, do you believe that I am able to do this for you? This is the hinge of, the, of, of all of chapters 8 and 9. Christ does not, like other prophets, refer the, the person to the power of God that's outside of him. Because he himself is God, and because he's proclaiming himself to be God by all these miracles, he asks them, do you believe that I, I personally, have the power and the authority to do this? All other prophets in all other times, they relied upon the power of God. They would pray to God. God would then answer. Christ, because he is God, is able to work of his own authority. And so the question is asked, and it is given uh, a statement in the affirmative. They do believe uh, that he, in fact, is able to do this. And this, again, brothers and sisters, shows all throughout this section, uh, Matthew wants you to see that Christ is sovereign over everything, but he also wants you to see that you are blessed if you believe it. You are blessed if you believe it. It is only the faithful, those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus, who benefit from his sovereignty in all of these miracles. Uh, Those who benefit from the sovereign authority of the Lord Jesus Christ are those who believe. And uh, the reason for this is, as the author to the Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to, to please God. Without faith, you cannot please God. And therefore, brothers and sisters, the question that is asked, that we've been asking for some time, But the question uh, that needs to be asked uh, even again is this. Do you truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or to put it in the way that that the blind men put it here. Do you believe that Jesus is truly the son of David? That he is is the one who will bring in and has brought in by his death and resurrection the, the kingdom of God, everlasting righteousness. That he is the one who does in fact sovereignly open the eyes of the blind. As one of the church fathers said, The blind men saw because they believed. The blind men saw because they believed. They did not believe because they saw. There are some people, as we think about the need to have faith, uh, there are some people, and this would have gone all the way back to the the 4th and 5th century, as uh, this quote is taken from there. This is always the way that unbelief works. But it's very common today for people to say, uh, you know, I I will not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ until I am able to see with the, with the reasoning of my mind that everything is true. And I will withhold, in extreme skepticism, uh, I will withhold all of my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ until my small mind is able to grasp all of the things of God, and until all of my objections are answered. Now, this, this way of thinking uh, comes from people who usually pit uh, faith against reason. So they'll say, you know, if you believe, you're basically taking a, a leap in, into the dark and you're basically turning your mind off is kind of the way that, that this uh, kind of reasoning works. However, uh, this really is a false dichotomy. Uh, faith and reason are not opposites. This, this idea that faith and reason would be opposites actually comes from a very ungodly philosophy uh, of, of someone who is uh, very foolishly trying to de- defend Christianity in this way. Uh, who was by no means a Christian, but yet was trying to kind of make room for the possibility of faith. And so he said, you know, there's, this, there's reason on one level, there's faith on another, and they basically can't interact, and therefore reason can't disprove faith. The problem is, is then um, the next thing that, that someone would then say is, well, then faith must be unreasonable. Uh, but this is not the case. Uh, faith can be reasonable or, un- or unreasonable. Um, if you, you know, if, if someone were to say, you know, I believe that if I jump off this building, I'll live, and it's a really tall building. That would be an unreasonable faith. However, faith can be very reasonable. Um, and in the same way, skepticism, unbelief, can be also reasonable or un- unreasonable. 
is it reasonable for a person to say that until my finite mind can comprehend the infinite God, I will not believe in him? Is that a reasonable thing to do? Is that a reasonable thing to say? The answer is clearly not. It is not the Christian who is giving up his reasoning in order to become, a, uh, in order to have faith. It is rather actually the skeptic who is giving up all reasonableness in order to maintain at all costs his own sin and unbelief. The opposite of faith is not reason. The opposite of faith is unbelief. And the question is not so much, will you have faith or reason? But will you reason according to faith or will you reason according to skepticism? Uh, one of the, the, the famous things that was said, this goes along with this uh, quote from the, the church father we said earlier, uh, that was often said all throughout the Middle Ages, it goes, uh, I, I believe, back to, to Augustine, is that I believe that I might understand. There was some who tried to turn that on its head. I understand that I might believe. The, the idea that I will, with, I will withhold all faith in God until I can understand everything about him, I, the idea of I understand that I might believe, is always the position of unbelief. But the opposite is, in fact, true. If you believe, then you will be able to understand. If you put your faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have your eyes opened to be able to see clearly and understand many things that others will never be able to understand. And this is the godly position. The reason why these men had their eyes opened by the Lord Jesus Christ is because they believed. Is because they believed. If they would have, if they would have been skeptical of the Lord Jesus about his claims, Lord, O oh Lord Jesus, until you show me definitively that you are in fact the son of David, until you can explain uh, how you did all of these miracles, I will withhold my belief in you. If they would have had that attitude, they never would have received their sight. They never would have received their sight and they would have remained blind. And such is the blindness that all will have who do not truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but approach him with that kind of skepticism. And so there is the faith on the one hand uh, of, of these blind men, and it leads to the giving of sight. Now, this giving of sight is recorded in verses 29 and 30. Notice, as, as we said earlier, Christ heals them according to their faith. And like the, all the other miracles, this demonstrates the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that's important about this particular miracle, we've noted as we've gone through Matthew chapters 8 and 9, that there are different elements of Christ's authority. There are different things that Matthew is trying to highlight when he records these stories. Now, one of the things that's particularly important with the idea of opening the eyes of the, of the blind is that this was part of uh, Messianic prophecies that were given in the Old Testament of the days when the Messiah would come. When the Messiah comes, one of the things that would mark that time is that the blind would be given their sight. And so when Christ comes and he actually opens the eyes of the blind, this is signaling that not just that he has the authority in general to open the eyes of the blind, but he is actually the one who is bringing in now the Messianic kingdom. You think of uh, uh, particularly in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, where, the Isaiah, where Isaiah writes, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the, of the death shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb, of the dumb will sing. This is why we sung... Uh, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing earlier, building on this particular passage. The, the idea is that uh, even in the Old Testament, with all of the great signs that were worked by various people, none of these things were ever done. None of these things were ever done. And even we see that the uniqueness of opening the eyes of the blind 
uh, from John chapter 9, the, the healing of uh, the blind man in that particular story, where when the, that blind man, after receiving a side beat, is questioned by the Pharisees. They're asking him, you know, uh, how did he do this? What did he do? Uh, is this person truly from God or whatever? And he says, since the beginning of the world, it has been unheard of that anyone would ever open the eyes of the blind. And so he says, look, my eyes have been opened by this man. Clearly, he has to come from God. Nothing like this has ever been heard of anywhere in the entire world. This is a completely unique thing, and it shows that something is happening, particularly that the kingdom of God is coming, as it has been prophesied in the prophets. Now, the other important thing about this, the other implication, is that Jesus has to be God, uh, because he is the one that did it. One of the things we see from the Old Testament is that it is always only God's prerogative to give sight to whomever he wills. He is the one that does this. You think of uh, Moses when he is uh, complaining to God and God appears to him. He says, you know, go send someone else. I can't speak very well. And what does God say to him? He says, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? The idea there is he's saying to Moses, you know, I'm going to put the words in your mouth. I'm the one who sovereignly always gives the ability to speak. I'm the one that sovereignly gives the ability to see. I make men blind. I make men see. And here Jesus is saying, I have the authority to do that. I have the authority to do the thing which in the scriptures only God is ever able to do and which has never happened in any other way. You think of also Psalm 94 verse 9 where the psalmist says, God is the one who formed the eye. He is the one that we know sees because he is the one that opens the eyes of all and he is the one that forms the eyes himself. And so when we put these two together then, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he heals this, the, these blind men, what he is indicating is he is the one that sovereignly opens the eyes of the blind as the eternal son of God, the one who is bringing in the messianic kingdom, the one who is bringing in the kingdom of God, even as he says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. He is indicating by all the things that he has done that this kingdom has in fact come. And as we'll see, he is also the one, he is also the one that sovereignly grants the knowledge of these things to whomever he wills. Uh, God is the one who sovereignly gives sight to the blind, not just physically, but also spiritually. And the Lord Jesus Christ reserves this for himself as well. This is one of the things we'll see as we move uh, through the book of Matthew. Think of uh, Matthew 11 in, in particular. Uh, no one knows the Father except the Son and whomever the Son chooses to reveal him. No one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. But those know the Father whom the Son chooses to reveal him to because he has the one, he, he is the one who is able to open the eyes of the blind. Now, there is something of a, of a subtle indication that this is a part of this story. This, again, will be something that, that Matthew develops in greater detail as we move through the gospel. But uh, one of the ways in which this point is developed, that Christ sovereignly grants the knowledge of himself to some and he withholds it from others, uh, is by the fact that Christ commands secrecy. He commands secrecy. This is done in a number of places in the Gospels. And you might think it's strange. You know, why is it that Christ commands when a great miracle is done? You think of, you know, if, if you were to see or hear about someone who had his eyes open when he's blind, that surely would be a great tool for evangelism. That could be proved. That would be quite amazing. Why is it that the Lord Jesus Christ commands that this, that this miracle be kept quiet? He commands that it not be told to very many people. And the answer is because this is showing, uh, as he'll later declare in Matthew 11, those know the Father only whom the Son chooses to reveal him to. 
and he has chosen to leave the crowds in ignorance with regard to this miracle. Now, the same thing actually happens in a number of ways in, uh, in the Gospels, uh, even in parables. Uh, why is it that Christ taught in parables? We looked uh, very briefly at Matthew chapter 13 before, but after the parable of the sower, the very first parable of the kingdom parables in Matthew 13, the question is asked, you know, why, why, does, why do you speak in parables? Uh, in some ways, it is to make truths about the kingdom of God clear, to reveal mysteries about the kingdom of God. But Christ also says that he speaks to them in parables so that they would not be able to understand. He speaks to them in parables in order to hide the truth from some. It was not the plan of the Lord Jesus Christ simply to make everything available to everyone in exactly the same way. And so the parables, you think of how amazing the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ are then, that they at the same time discriminate between two kinds of people and at the same time are able to grant faith to some so that, so that some, even children, are able to understand the deep things of the kingdom of God. While at, at, at the same time, even the wise and understanding are left in the dark and have no idea what the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about. And, there are, and, and with the same words, there is this discriminating purpose that the Lord Jesus Christ has. What we see in the Gospels over and over again is there are various ways in which the Lord Jesus Christ actually hides the knowledge of the kingdom from some. Now, brothers and sisters, in light of this, think of how great a privilege you have if you are one who truly knows these things, that you have not been left in the dark. Part of what this, what this means, if Christ gives the knowledge to somebody, withholds it from others, it means that there is really nothing that you could do of your own strength to come to this knowledge. Many wise people and smart, intelligent people long to have the answers that are taught to our children when they're infants. Many, many great philosophers have tried to figure out what the meaning of life is and trying to, to, to figure out whether or not there is meaning to life. And all of our children know the meaning of life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Uh, the, God very often will, will give this knowledge to some and He will withhold it to others. If you then have this knowledge, you did not acquire this knowledge because of your great mental power, you do not acquire this knowledge because you're better and you sought it more diligently, uh, diligently than others. You acquired this knowledge because the Lord Jesus Christ sovereignly granted it to you. And the only difference between you and a person who does not know God is that Christ has not yet sovereignly granted that knowledge to the, the, to the other person. We don't know if he will or not. But the knowledge of God is given sovereignly by the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of this great privilege that is yours. Now, the other thing that we see from this text is you'll notice the blind men do not actually obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they, uh, they go off and they uh, will, uh, in fact, uh, spread the news of this miracle to others. And uh, at this point, we have to, to think through uh, what it is that they are doing and why it is, in fact, a bad thing. We've already seen that, that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ does not want this knowledge to be uh, propagated. Why is it such a bad thing for them to be speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ and his miracles to these people? Why is it that they were commanded and why did they disobey? Well, the answer is because, uh, specifically to this situation, many people had misunderstandings about what it would mean when the Lord Jesus would come, when the Messiah would in fact come. They were anticipating a, 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 an earthly king who would overthrow the Romans. Um, and so... Um, Christ, by withholding the knowledge of himself from the crowds at various points in the Gospels, is indicating that it is in fact harmful to the kingdom if the news of Christ spreads 
in a way that is false. It does very much matter when we think about what we say to others about the Lord Jesus Christ. It very much matters what we say about the Lord Jesus Christ, not just that we're simply speaking his name. You know, very often today people will say, you know, we all believe in the same Jesus. You think of, uh, you, you think of those from, from uh, um, maybe even cults. You think of like the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses. You think of um, the difference between Catholics and Protestants. You think of even, um, you know, other faiths, you know, sometimes... Um, liberal Christians or Muslims will say, you know, Christians and Muslims, we all believe the same God. Uh, but notice, notice a misunderstanding even of simply the mission of the Messiah is enough for Christ to say, I do not want my name and this miracle to be published among all these people when I know that what they will believe about it is, uh, is false. They will misattribute the purpose of why I have come. And therefore, it is better that they be left in the dark. This means, brothers and sisters, that it does very much matter. You know, you think of uh, uh, an example in history of when this happened. The Second Great Awakening, very, very different from the, from the First Great Awakening. The Second Great Awakening happened in the 19th century. There was a lot of religious fervor, a lot of, a lot of preaching. A lot of people were very zealous for God in their own way. And yet, the preaching was not according to the gospel. It was not according to the scriptures in very many cases. And with all this religious fervor, it basically produced nothing. I mean, in terms of the, the good, you know, there would be, of course, there's always going to be good here and there. But you think of some of the things that came out of, out of the 19th century, and even some of these directly from the preaching of the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. You have Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, and Mormons. And th think of all the problems that are now being caused uh, by those who are believing a false gospel, that now generations and generations of people are uh, believing these things that come that in some ways came out of the second great awakening and were, were uh, related to the movement uh, the point is, is it is not helpful it is not helpful for you to just say anything about the lord jesus christ we live in an age when definitive statements about doctrine are looked down upon you're just being divisive you just need to get along with others and love them but what christ is saying here the implication of it is doctrine does matter you have to get right who the lord jesus christ is and what he's come to do and that is the message that must be proclaimed to all and so sadly, these two men, they disobeyed the Lord Jesus Christ. As excited they were as they were to receive uh, their sight, this in no way ever justifies disobedience. For as the scriptures say, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. Um, one of the things this also shows is that we can never truly be serving the Lord by disobeying him. We can never truly be serving the Lord by disobeying him. Uh, one common example of, of how this happens today is you think of uh, uh, female pastors they, they, they say they're serving the Lord, they're sacrificing to, to God their whole lives, uh, and yet the scriptures very clearly teach that women are not to have authority over men in the church, and they are not to preach. And so they are disobeying as they are trying to sacrifice to God. But what the scriptures teach is that obedience is better than sacrifice. So even as these two men, they truly do, did believe, uh, they did fall into this particular sin. And it's a good reminder to all of us that as we think about how we are serving the Lord, that we must always strive to be faithful to him as we uh, serve him. That just because we've been given faith by the Lord Jesus Christ, it does not guarantee that we will in fact serve him faithfully. We always need to strive to be serving him in a way and manner that is acceptable. And so what's the point of the whole then? What's, what's the thread that pulls all of these themes together? The point is that, so, that, is that Christ sovereignly grants sight to the blind and he does this both physically and spiritually. He sovereignly grants the eyes of faith.
to whomever he chooses, and he sovereignly opens the eyes of whomever he chooses. This to indicate that he is, in fact, the, the great Son of God, eternal Son of God, who has authority to do this, who is bringing in the kingdom of God by all of his actions. The new creation is being brought in, has been brought in through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question, brothers and sisters, is, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Has Christ opened your eyes? And if not, or if you are struggling with your faith and you want to know where to go, the answer is you can only go to the one who sovereignly opens the eyes of the blind. May it be that God would grant you the grace to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might be able to honor him all the days of your life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do thank you. How we do thank you that you did, in fact, reveal yourself to us. Lord, what a, a great thing to think on, the mercy and grace which you have shown to us, that you have opened our eyes, that you are the sovereign Lord who has always shown himself to be able to open the eyes of the blind. Lord, we confess that very often we take this privilege for granted or we ascribe it to our own strength or power. Help us, Lord, rather to see that it is all of grace, that it is all of grace, and if it were not for your grace, we would be just as ignorant as the, as the next person. Lord, may it be that you would open our eyes even now to behold in a deeper way the, the true extent of this grace that has been shown to us, and that in so seeing it, we would worship you all the days of our lives, being obedient to all of your commandments. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. May God enlighten the eyes of your heart that through the preached word, your eyes may be opened to behold the glory of Christ more and more.